Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Thanks for joining me today. Appreciate it. A big thank you to Mark Hudson for bringing today's story to my attention. This story from Northern Ireland covers once again one of the classic themes running through this podcast, where the reality of a perfect family life can be oh so different. I'm taking part in Podcast Live Crime, a podcast festival over two evenings dedicated to murder, investigations and bad behaviour. Join me at Wilton's Music Hall in Whitechapel on Tuesday the 7th of April and Wednesday the 8th of April. I'm recording a show live on stage on Tuesday the 7th of April at 9.30pm. It should be a lot of fun with podcasts like Red Handed, Real Crime Profile and Unheard, The Thread and Rose West Tapes performing live. Come and join us. Get tickets at UKTrueCrime.com. Have you tried HelloFresh yet? If not, give it a go today. HelloFresh makes it easy for you to cook delicious home-cooked meals from scratch. Choose your favourite recipes from a changing weekly menu and they'll deliver all the fresh pre-portioned ingredients you need to cook them straight to your door. That means no planning, no shopping and no food waste. The helping hand you need to cook fresh at home. I love the ease of cooking quick healthy food and not having the hassle of trading around the supermarket but I'd much rather be Ellen Road watching the mighty Leeds United. This week I love the veggie coconut Caribbean soup with roasted sweet potato and kidney beans. And next week the dinner I'm looking forward to the most is veggie shepherd's pie with chickpeas, mushrooms and cheesy top. Yummy! Go and check out the menu now. For the simple way to cook fresh, HelloFresh is offering you, as a listener to this podcast, 50% off your first box and 35% off the next three boxes. Head to hellofresh.co.uk and use the code CRIME to receive 50% off your first box and 35% off the next three. Just head to hellofresh.co.uk to choose your favourite recipes and start booking your first box. Before we begin, as usual, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That's Camilla De Bruyne, Victoria Norris, James Paris, and Paul Davidson. Thank you so much for your support, which is so much appreciated. Let's take a quick look at the music we were listening to at the time of today's events. Top of the charts was Mario Winans featuring Enya and P. Diddy with I Don't Wanna Know. Peter Andre was at three with Insania. Remember that? No, nor me. In the US, Usher was at number one with Burn. And in the Australian album charts, Casey Chambers was in the top spot with Wayward Angel. Nope, me neither. In the news this month, Ronald Reagan's funeral took place in Washington. Spider-Man 2 starring Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst was released. Red Ken Livingston won a second term as London Mayor. England were knocked out of the Euros in the quarter-final by host nation Portugal on penalties, following a 2-2 draw after extra time in Lisbon. Remember that one? The month? June 2004. So on to today's story from Rich Hill, a large village in County Armagh, Northern Ireland, between Armagh and Porter Down, with a population approaching 3,000. The body of Paul Crimble, aged 35, was found at Marla Coo off the main Porter Down to Market Hill Road shortly before 11am on Sunday the 20th of June 2004. 
The engineer's body was spotted by a member of the public in a small road two miles from his home. Preliminary results of a post-mortem examination indicated that he had died from asphyxiation. Police Superintendent Bob Moore, speaking to the press, said that no motive had yet been established for the murder. This is a very early stage in the investigation, he said. At this point, we have not yet established a motive for this terrible crime. There is no indication at this stage of paramilitary involvement. However, we will obviously be exploring all avenues of inquiry as they emerge. So just who was Paul Crimble? He was married to Jacqueline and a father to 12-year-old Danielle and Adam, who was eight. Paul was a hard-working, quiet and thoughtful man who left behind a devastated group of family and friends, struggling to cope with his untimely death when he seemingly had everything to live for. He had grown up in a religious household in Carrickfergus where his parents installed in him the importance of living his life in a Christian way, which for him was just about making sure he always did the right thing for the right reasons and to always be kind. His work as a mechanical engineer was going very well and after receiving a first class degree he returned to Short's Aerospace in Belfast where opportunities opened up in front of him. Away from work, from an early age, Paul had a passion for motorbikes and scramblers, cycling and F1. Not long before his death, he'd been planning to head out to Barcelona for the Grand Prix, but work commitments meant that he instead went on a cycling holiday to France and Spain with a friend, which was loads of fun. And when we joined the story today, he'd only just got back from that trip. Paul's wife, Jackie, was three years older than him. A number of his friends and family were a little shocked that he was with Jackie as she was a very different personality to him. She was somewhat loud, uncouth, and with every word a swear word. But Paul saw the best in people, and he was absolutely besotted with Jackie. As for Jackie's family, they were delighted that she met a man as lovely as Paul, and they adored him, especially Jackie's brother Stephen, who developed a very close bond with Paul up until the day he died. The pair had married and moved to their secluded bungalow, where they'd been living a quiet, normal life as a family. Everyone said that Paul was a popular man with no enemies at all, and detectives could find no sign of any double life he may have been leading. So who could possibly have had any motive at all to kill him? Detectives traced Paul's last movements. It was the Saturday night before Father's Day, the 19th of June 2004, the day before he died, and Paul and Jackie shipped the children off to his mum's, and she surprised Paul by taking him out to dinner. After driving the children to his mum's house, they got home about 9pm on a beautiful summer's evening, and jumped in a taxi to their local pub, the Lioness. There they had a really fun time, and fellow diners said that Paul seemed relaxed and in great spirits that evening. The couple arrived home at about 1.30am, and that is where the nightmare began. It was at 2.20am that a distraught Jackie Crimble made the 999 call. Shortly afterwards, the police arrived to find a distressed Jackie on her knees in the hallway with her hands tied by cable ties, with a table lamp, broken ornament and telephone on the ground. Tearful and hyperventilating, she told officers how when they had arrived home from their night out, there were intruders waiting for them in the garden who had attacked Paul as he'd opened the front door, beating him up and then placing a plastic bag over his head and securing it with tape. They'd been demanding drugs or money. There were four of them, she said, all wearing masks. 
as Jackie was taken to the police station, all police in the local area were notified to look for Paul in the hope that he might still be alive. But it was at 10am when Paul's lifeless body was found in the back of his own vehicle. His hands were tied behind his back and a plastic bag had been tied tightly around his neck. The pathologist later confirmed that suffocation had indeed been the cause of death and it is a particularly unpleasant way to die. Detectives immediately began looking for reasons why Paul had been killed. Jacqueline Crimble blamed enemies of former loyalist paramilitary leader Johnny Adair for the murder. But detectives had already pretty much ruled out drugs or paramilitaries and as they began to look more closely at the life of the Crimbles, they quickly had a new prime suspect, Jackie Crimble. It hadn't taken long for detectives to discover that Jackie was having an affair with a man the same age as her. She'd been very open about it, and in the tight-knit community, everyone seemed to know about their affair. And detectives believed that simply, the couple had murdered Paul so they could live together and claim the £300,000 payout from Paul's life insurance. Roger lived with his mum nearby running a small farm, and he wasn't very well off at all. Their first meeting was right out of the pages of Mills and Boone. Jackie, who liked to drink, had been at the pub, and after a few too many was throwing up when her eyes first met Roger's across the vomit. Class. But the affair thrived, and as the gossip grew, everyone knew about it, including soon enough Paul. At first he didn't believe it, but after a while he had no choice to accept it was happening as he kept being told about it by different trusted people. He confronted Jackie, who openly admitted that she was seeing someone and said she wanted to end the marriage. But the way that Paul had been brought up made him genuinely believe in marriage, and he persuaded Jackie to agree to marriage guidance. She wasn't especially fussed about this, although she went along with it, and unsurprisingly this proved unsuccessful. But detectives were clear that they believed that Jackie didn't want a divorce at all, as this wouldn't give her all of the money that Paul was worth, and that is what she wanted, to start a new life with Roger. Lots of people came forward to say that Jackie had been spreading all sorts of rumours about Paul, including that he'd sexually assaulted her and her daughter, and had passed her a sexually transmitted disease. She boasted repeatedly to people about money, including people that she barely knew about what she was worth, what she was going to do with her money, and that Paul abused her financially by stealing her money and not paying bills. She said on more than one occasion, including to Roger's mum, that she'd be much better off without him. Of course, all this talk was nonsense, and the only person who ever had a bad way to say about Paul was his wife Jackie and she could easily manipulate Roger. She told Roger that she'd been pregnant with his twins, and that Paul had found out and had attacked her, causing her to miscarry their children. The only issue here was that Jackie had been sterilised, and so there was no chance of her becoming pregnant with anyone's baby. And forensic evidence quickly established that both were involved. A footprint from a boot matching Roger's was found in the hallway of Paul's house, and a rolled-up cigarette butt in the house also contained his and Jackie's DNA. Then there was Jackie's DNA on the cable ties used to tie Paul's hands and ankles, and her fingerprints are on the plastic bag used to suffocate Paul. 
The rest of the bags in the roll, also with her fingerprints, were found in a drawer at her home, along with the rest of the masking tape that hadn't been used to secure the plastic around Paul's head. Frankly, it was an amateur job. Detectives discovered that on the evening of the murder, Jackie, Roger, and another accomplice, a friend of Roger's, 21-year-old Colin Robinson, were in regular phone contact. And during their meal at the pub, Jackie had left the table on a number of occasions to take calls from Roger. At one stage, she even turned up in the car park as they reassured themselves that they should go ahead with their plan. All the while, whilst Paul was blissfully unaware of the murder plot, believing that he was enjoying a night out with his wife, and maybe there was a chance, just a chance, so they could get their marriage back on track. Detectives believed they'd enough to charge the three with murder, and they were remanded in custody ahead of their trial. But before we get to that event, the couple's daughter later spoke to the Mirror newspaper about her experiences at this time around the murder of her dad. She said, and I quote, Jackie had a terrible temper. Everyone, including my dad, just walked on eggshells. Just asking her an innocent question could be enough to make her lash out. Dad was frightened of her. I was about 11 when she introduced me to her new friend Roger. But I knew straight away from their flirty looks it was more than just friendship. And if Dad wasn't there, Roger was always around. It made me sick to see them larking around together. Shortly after Jackie met Roger, she and Daddy sat me down and said they might break up in a year. They were only staying together because my brother and I were very young. It was so upsetting. So on the Saturday night before Father's Day, when her parents told her that they were going out for a meal, Danielle was delighted. We went to stay with Daddy's mum. And that night Danielle and her brother made their father his card, she says. It breaks my heart that he never got to see them. The next morning the phone rang in the house and Danielle heard her granny scream. When Jackie told her tearfully what had happened to her dad, Danielle had her suspicions even then. Quoting again from the Mirror interview, Danielle said, I remember looking at her and thinking, I bet you did it. At Daddy's funeral, she literally hung onto his coffin wailing. Whereas a few days earlier, she'd been berating him, bullying him, and calling him names like stupid. Her tears just seemed fake. There were no witnesses to their kidnapping, and her story made no sense. Unable to go home, the bungalow being corned off, it was a crime scene. The family had to go into a rented house. Danielle takes up the story again. Rather than being grief-stricken and haunted as I was by the thought of how Daddy had died, she was still seeing Roger. When they thought no one was looking, they were all over one another, flirting. Within weeks of Daddy dying, she burnt all his clothes and photos in a bonfire, but then... One day, Danielle came home from school to be told that her mum had been charged with her dad's murder. I wasn't surprised at all, said Danielle. I knew she was guilty. The trial lasted from mid-April to the end of June with many witnesses called. It concluded when the jury returned verdicts of guilty. 35-year-old Jackie Crimble was told she would serve at least 20 years in prison for murdering her husband. 31-year-old Roger Ferguson was jailed for at least 18 years. Neither showed any emotion when sentenced. Justice McLaughlin told Amar Crown Court that the murder was both shocking and wholly malicious. She told Crimble, You've been guilty of the ultimate act of treachery. You vilified your husband repeatedly to people you knew well 
and some you barely knew. The allegations you made were, were of outrageous behaviour by him, which you knew to be without foundation. He flaunted your affair with Roger Ferguson, and finally, he took away his life. Your actions were carried out without mercy and were premeditated. You sat beside him for hours in Linus Bar, pretending to be his loyal wife, whilst actively plotting and planning his death. Finally, when he was helpless, like an executioner, you and Roger Ferguson put a black bag over his head, sealed it around his neck, watched as he struggled to breathe and then waited for him to die. The cruelty implicit in what you did would be difficult to comprehend if it involved a complete stranger. But it was done to someone with whom you lived over many years of marriage, who provided for you, who was the father of your children, and who was loved by those who knew him. Particularly his mother. It defies belief. And turning to Roger, the judge said, I believe it much more difficult to analyse the reasons for you, Roger Ferguson being here today to be sentenced for murder. You were a hard-working man with no criminal record and from a good law-abiding family. You did not drink alcohol and often sat in the pub in the company of much older men drinking orange or cola. It's hard to think of a less likely image of a murderer. It has been said that you became besotted by Jacqueline Crimble and the reality of easy sex and the prospect of a life of comparative luxury led to your downfall. It was alleged you were so dominated by Jacqueline Crimble that you allowed yourself to be ensnared by her. I can only assume this analysis is correct, as no other plausible explanation exists. If I am correct, you demonstrate how otherwise good people are capable of committing the most appalling acts when certain circumstances combine, especially powerful ingredients such as love, sex and money. Their accomplice, 21-year-old Colin Robinson, was convicted of assisting an offender and jailed for three years. And Roger's mum, 57-year-old Dawn Ferguson, who gave her son a false alibi, saying she'd seen him in bed on the night of the murder, was given a conditional discharge. During the trial, Paul's mum, Shirley, was praised for her bravery for speaking out. The judge said she was a lady of remarkable courage and immense dignity who gave evidence at the trial with care and balance and impressed into awed silence the entire courtroom when she spoke. And following their convictions, Mrs Crimble just spoke of her devastation, saying, There's not a day goes by that I don't think of my dear son and what has happened. We touched on Paul's daughter's Danielle's story before the trial, but her interview of the Mirror newspaper gives real insight into how the events we've spoken about affected her. She told how Jackie burnt all of Paul's belongings and pictures, leaving her with just one picture of him with her sitting on her dad's lap when she was a very little girl, which she cherishes. She talks about how Jackie even exerted control on her from behind bars, saying, She'd already ruined my life, but despite murdering my dad, Jackie kept her parental rights. Incredibly, even though she was in prison, she still had to sign consent for my younger brother and I to go on school trips. She tried to bribe me into visiting her by saying she'd sign a form if I came to see her, Then when I went, she'd protest her innocence. When I said I didn't believe her, she'd refuse to sign the form. It meant I was the only kid in the class to be left behind. She tore the family apart. She cruelly refused to let us live with Daddy's mum and her social services didn't feel any of her family was suitable. The only option was for my brother and I to go into care. 
I had to leave my school and friends and move to a new area. My little brother settled with the first family. I didn't settle. They lived on a farm and I always felt on the outside. I went to live with another family, but wherever I went, someone would always find out my mum was the black widow and I'd be bullied. So I ended up in around six different homes, and from being someone who used to work hard and do our homework, I started to drink and run away. This interview took place when Danielle was 21, and she said it wasn't until she was 17, when social services helped to get her own flat and she went to college, that she got her life back on track. Later getting a job, at the time of the interview, she worked as a nursery support assistant and meeting her partner. But she is in no doubt that her mum should be spending longer in prison, saying, even from prison, she's only gone to show how evil and nasty she is. She wasn't a mother, she was a monster. Someone who not only killed my daddy, but ripped away my childhood. The thought that she would eventually be let out, and still only be in her 40s, terrifies me. In 2016, Jackie's brother Steve, who was so close to Paul, was unexpectedly found dead at his home. Jackie was hoping to apply for compassionate leave to attend the funeral, but her family contacted the prison service to make it clear she would not be welcome. A friend was quoted as saying, Her family all loved Paul, who was such a great guy. Paul was like a brother to Stephen, and Stephen couldn't forgive her for what she did. He also loved Paul's two children, and did his best to help them, growing up without their dad. They are devastated by his death. All the family are heartbroken. The last thing they want is for Jacqueline to turn up and add to their agony. They think the only reason she'd want to come would be for a trip out of jail and to cause drama. The family have contacted the prison and made it clear that they don't want her there. And it wasn't just her brother who struggled to forgive Jackie. Their mum Phyllis also struggled to forgive her daughter. And just a week before Steve's untimely death, she commented on a photo of Paul on social media saying, Think of you every day, Paul. Kiss, kiss. In fact, the only person who visited Jackie in jail was her dad, Ronnie, although it was reported that even his visits dwindled over the years. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Of course, our sympathies are with Paul, his family and his friends. It won't be lost on you that the only person who ever had bad words to say about Paul was his wife, and then he lost his life aged just 35 with so much to live for. I talk a lot on this podcast about just how frightening it must be to be actually murdered and I can't think of a worse example than that we've heard about today. It's hard I think to comprehend how Paul must have felt during his slow painful death, especially as he would have been well aware that his wife was involved along with her lover. There was every chance he'd have seen her face during his final moments, right up until he tried to breathe his last breath but there was no longer any air. Just imagine how this must have felt. And then Jackie, released from jail, potentially still in her 40s. It's hard not to agree with her daughter Danielle that this seems way too soon for such a horrendous crime. If she was released, do you think she would still be a danger to the public? I wonder. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the UK True Crime Facebook group where there are now almost 20,000 of us talking all aspects of UK true crime. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash a UK true crime where you will find almost 40 bonus episodes 
and lots of other exclusive content. The most recent bonus episode was about the murder of the boxer, Sean Cummings. If you don't know the story, take a listen. So that's all for me for this week. So until we speak again next week, please do get your ticket for Podcast Live and head to HelloFresh to get your food sorted for next week. So until we speak again, please take it easy. And most of all, do stay classy. Cheerio.